Throughout the 40 years of wandering, Moses endured numerous rebellions. Challenges to his leadership started immediately upon the exodus from Egypt and didn't end until the very end of the story. The Parsha of the week, Korach, describes one of these uprisings. Looking back, we can understand and even sympathize with the Israelites. Slavery was all they knew. They were not equipped to survive on their own. The wilderness was harsh, and there were constant setbacks along the way. And naturally, Moses, the leader, was the target of all of their complaints and all of their frustrations. So one can view the constant rebellions against Moses with a measure of understanding. What's much harder to comprehend is the constant refrain of the rebels, let's go back to Egypt. Egypt was a cauldron of cruelty. Egypt was the sweltering, steaming, scalding center of slavery, suffering, sorrow, sadness, and scarcity. Egypt was misery, misfortune, and melancholy. Egypt was destitution, deprivation, desolation, disillusionment, depression, and despair. The agony of the people was so great in Egypt that their cries finally reached God who only then sent Moses to free the slaves. So challenge Moses all you want, challenge his leadership style, challenge his decisions, all of it is understandable. But why? Let's go back to Egypt. The last time the Israelites saw the Egyptians, they were pursued by the greatest military force the world had ever known that wanted to destroy every last one of them. What is this obsession with returning to Egypt? You know, even the construction of the golden calf was really a cry to return to Egypt, to return to the worship of the gods that they knew, even though those gods were no gods at all. The way the rebels put it in our Parsha is, is it not enough that you brought us from a land flowing with milk and honey to have us die here in the wilderness? Did you catch that? They called Egypt, Egypt, a land flowing with milk and honey. The rebellion of Korah came immediately after the failure of the scouts described in last week's Parsha when God sentenced the Israelites to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So it is natural that someone would rebel against this aimless wandering, challenging the existing leadership and offering a new one. But why Egypt? I think that the constant refrain of how good things used to be in Egypt reflects basic human nature. It is the will to arrive that propels us forward. We need to arrive. If we do not arrive, if we think that we will never arrive, that all we will do is 
meander and wander through the wilderness of life, we become depressed. We do not do well with meandering and wandering through life. We need achievable goals. We do not like uncertainty, the uncertainty of non-arrival. Uncertainty creates anxiety. Anxiety leads to dissatisfaction, fear, and paralysis. Not arriving prompts us to think of the good old days when we thought that we were settled. Days that in reality were not really that good. We yearn for familiarity. Uncertainty creates an appetite for nostalgia. But nostalgia is never what it used to be. Here's the basic tragedy of life. We crave clarity in a world that will never be clear. We yearn for unity in a world that will never be unified. We favor familiarity in a world that is changing by the moment. We hunger for harmony in a world that cannot be harmonized. We crave consistency in an inconsistent world. We consider politicians to be even more flawed than they are if we bring evidence that they changed their minds, as if changing your mind is necessarily a bad thing. Only a donkey never changes its mind. And even that, in a couple of weeks, we'll read in the weekly Parsha, a passage in the Bible of the case of a donkey that actually did change its mind. <coughs> Emerson famously wrote that a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. We want explanations to a world that cannot be explained. No one understands even a small part of the world. We want control over an uncontrollable world. None of us has control. Even those who think that they do. The world is far too complex. 35 members of our synagogue will be traveling to Eastern Europe in two weeks. I see some of you here. If you have never been on such a mission, you don't know what you're missing. If you're not a member of the synagogue just for that, it's worth joining. We'll be in Berlin. The first time I was in Berlin was in 2001 when I led a delegation of reform rabbis. We met with Walter Mumper, who was the mayor of West Berlin when the Berlin Wall fell. He told us a fascinating story about the day that the wall came down. He said that despite having at his disposal all of the military and intelligence assets of the West, which were aimed at knowing precisely what was happening on the other side, Mayor Momper had no idea that the wall would come down on that day. He told us that in his most optimistic vision in 20 to 30 years, Germans would be able to go from east to west and west to east without showing the sentry a passport. 
The mayor told us that he was at a television studio explaining in an interview that reunification would have to wait at least another generation. When his cell phone started beeping, whatever kinds of mobile phones they used in antiquity back in 1989, and he was called to come urgently to the wall that had just been breached by thousands of East Germans. And this was the person who supposedly had all of the information and all of the answers, the very security of the West depended on it. He didn't even know that a new world was dawning, that it was sunrise at the very moment that he was asserting that nothing was happening. Louis XVI wrote in his diary on July 14, 1789, the day of the storming of the Bastille. He wrote in his diary, rien, nothing, nothing happened today. If only someone could give us the answer. It is a constant concern at the center of our lives. It is why the former slaves were prepared to return even to slavery. At least that provided an answer of sorts. Alas, there are no answers to the central questions of our lives. And even the tools that we have constructed to set us free, even they, can be instruments of enslavement. Reason can easily be distorted into just another absolute. The greatest philosopher in Germany of his time, Heidegger, was a Nazi. There can be the same devout madness at the heart of reason that there may be at the heart of faith. Science that has liberated so many human beings can become the instrument of enslavement and wholesale annihilation. And we should always be wary of social and political movements that are based upon ideologies of absolutes, knowing all the answers. Members of our delegation will see firsthand next month that any political movement that claims to have the final solution, whether rooted in God or rooted in denial of God, is ipso facto like Pharaoh's Egypt, false, and usually tyrannical, despotic, intolerant, and evil. The basic fact of human existence is that we never arrive. There is no final solution. None of us arrives. In many ways, we are all like the Israelites, aspiring to reach but never actually arriving to the promised land. And so, we construct sanctuaries of serenity to shield us from the harshness of reality 
and to offer, if not explanations, at least comfort and meaning in our uncertainty that teach us how to live meaningfully despite ourselves. It's why the attack this week in Charleston is so devastating and horrifying to us. It happened in a sanctuary. The place we go to seek solutions to the tragic irreconcilability of the human condition. It is the place we go to acknowledge our humility and our inability to comprehend the world. It is the place we go when we finally concede that we will never arrive. We will not get to the promised land. Even Moses understood this by the end of his life. And so, if we will never arrive, if we will never know, if we will never have what we crave the most, answers to our most basic questions, then we must find comfort, satisfaction, and meaning in the daily travel and toil. This was the mistake of the Exodus generation. They were not superfluous even though they never arrived at the promised land. They had an historic role to play. Moses was the key figure of Jewish existence despite never crossing the river. He had a different role to play. To travel is our destination. And we must rejoice in the journey. We must find happiness and meaning in our moment, knowing that our moment in time is fleeting. As the rabbis teach, we are not called upon to finish the task, but neither are we free to desist. Amen.